Well, I invite you to turn in your bulletin on the other side to find our scripture reading, uh, which will come from Luke chapter 10. Uh, we'll be reading verses 13 through 16 uh, as we continue on on Wednesdays in our uh, series through the Gospel of Luke. This continues Jesus' address to his 70 followers, and he says in verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. As far as the reading of God's word. Well, if you've uh, been in uh, really any church for any period of time, but especially in Presbyterian churches, you've probably come across the phenomena of what we call ordination or installation services. Uh, these are often services in which a man is either being ordained or installed to a particular work. Uh, it might be a pastor or a missionary who's being set up to the work that he's being called to. Uh, and so often in these services, we have uh, different ministers come and, and give several charges. Uh, one minister might give a charge to the, the pastor being ordained and installed of the work that he's to do. Another minister might give a charge to the congregation and how they are to receive his ministry. Uh, and, and in their, our passage uh, this afternoon, we, we find something of a similar scene uh, in Jesus' address to these 70 followers. Uh, we've, we've seen in past weeks in the previous verses how Jesus has uh, now turned in his ministry towards Jerusalem. Uh, he set his face to go. The, the trajectory of his ministry is toward that place and the accomplishment of, of all that he's come to do. Uh, but in these verses, we find as, as he heads this way uh, that Jesus is speaking to these 70 followers that he has. Uh, these 70 followers that he is preparing, uh, commissioning, uh, sending out to be gospel preachers. Uh, they're to go before him, uh, to prepare his way. Uh, he says to preach the gospel in all the towns that he is coming to. It's, it's something of a commissioning service uh, that Jesus is having for these 70 followers. And the verses we've read uh, that we're considering this afternoon form the conclusion of this commissioning address that Jesus is giving. These are his final words to these 70 men as they are to go out and preach the gospel. And as we considered last week, this, this whole section in which Jesus is speaking to these 70 followers, uh, giving to them this address of the task that they are being called to, uh, we find uh, something here which applies to the regular ministry of the church that Jesus Christ has called us to in all ages. Uh, certainly as you read these verses, you find that there is a uniqueness to the ministry that they're called to. Uh, they're casting out demons. Uh, they're healing the sick. There, there's uniqueness to what they're doing. Uh, but this ministry that Jesus is calling them to has reference and application, we ought to see, uh, to the regular ministry of the church in all ages. I'd have reference to those uh, gospel ministers who Christ has called and, and gifted to preach the gospel in all ages. It certainly has reference to individual Christians as you go forth in the different stations of your life and, and testify to the Lord Jesus Christ to, to those people that you know. I think it also has reference to the whole church, 
of the whole body of Christ involved in this great task that Jesus gives of gospel preaching. Uh, Each one in their own station, according to their own capacities and gifts. Uh, Through the ministry of of preachers and teachers in the church, uh, the whole body of Christ is involved in this work. And so as we consider Jesus' address to these gospel preachers here in Luke 10, we ought to see the implications that it has for our gospel ministry even today. And our verses this afternoon speak to a particular element of this ministry, of this task that Jesus has called them to. Uh, Particularly, it speaks to, Jesus in addressing them, speaks to the rejection that the preaching of the gospel so often receives. Jesus is helping us to see how we are to respond when the preaching of the gospel is rejected. Uh, How are we to think about the rejection of the gospel? Uh, When we bring friends, uh, when we know others who do not receive the gospel preached, how are we to think about these things? Uh, How are we to engage and respond when the preaching of the gospel does not find fruitful reception. And Jesus in his words here gives us uh, two uh, points about how we are to think about the rejection of of gospel preaching. In these verses he speaks both of judgment and of consolation. Judgment and consolation. Uh, He speaks of judgment uh, for those who reject the preaching of the gospel, but he also speaks of consolation for those in the midst of gospel rejection. Judgment and consolation. So those will be the two points that we'll consider from our verses this afternoon. Uh, But even as we do so, and as we consider these these two points that Jesus gives to us, I think we also ought to uh, understand that these words that Jesus is giving to us has uh, several layers of of reference and of application for us as Christians today. I think this passage speaks to both those who hear the gospel preached and to those who preach the gospel. It has reference to those who, who hear it proclaimed to them and to the church in its ministry and task that Christ has called them to. So as we consider these things, we, we ought to keep both of these references, both of these layers of application in mind. So let us consider our first point, and Jesus speaks of judgment in verses 13 to 15. You, you can see it there uh, again on your bulletin. Immediately as Jesus begins to speak in verse 13, we, we see the judgment pronounced. He says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Again, in verse 15, he speaks of Capernaum. In the midst of commissioning his uh, disciples and followers to go preach the gospel, he addresses these three particular towns, and he uses the language of woe. It's language I'm sure we're all familiar with, but might not quite understand. It sounds a little funny to us when someone says woe. What exactly does this mean? And we ought to understand the language of woe that Jesus is using here speaks of of sorrow for judgment that is to come. Uh, Jesus is speaking of sorrow for this judgment that will come on these towns. And as we see this language, having read the scriptures often, we ought to have our minds taken back to the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, It sounds like so often the the prophets that we read, uh, especially at the end of the Old Testament, Those prophets there would often pronounce judgment upon God's people or the surrounding nations, and they would use this language. They would pronounce woe and judgment on those who rejected God, who sinned against him. So we see here that Jesus is being presented in in line with these Old Testament prophets. Uh, He's like one of the prophets of old who is pronouncing judgment upon the enemies of God. And yet, even in these particular words of Jesus, I think we ought to see a particular weightiness 
to the words of Christ. For though the Lord Jesus Christ is a prophet in line with these Old Testament prophets pronouncing judgment, uh, He is not simply a prophet. Uh, Jesus is both the one who proclaims judgment and the one who executes judgment. He is both prophet and judge. That's the one who's proclaiming these words here. Uh, you remember Paul's words in Acts chapter 17 as he preaches. And he says that he, the Father, has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, that man being the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we consider these words, we ought to see the great weightiness that this has. This is both prophet and judge proclaiming these things. And, and particularly, he identifies and condemns these three towns. These are towns and areas in which he would have regularly ministered. Uh, he, he says in these verses that mighty works have been performed in their midst. Uh, so these are places that Jesus has been. Uh, he's preached the gospel there. His followers have been with him. Uh, he's performed mighty works. He's done all these things, and, and they've seen them. And yet Jesus here declares judgment that is going to come upon these towns. But even as we consider our verses last week, it's, it's not simply these three towns that judgment will come upon. Uh, but Jesus has said to his followers that, that any town in which they come to that rejects the gospel will face the same judgment. Every town will face judgment. Every person will face judgment that does not receive the gospel. And as we read these verses, I think we can't help but see the, the, the severity of this judgment that Jesus is proclaiming against these towns that do not receive the gospel. Uh, notice the contrast that Jesus makes. He contrasts these three towns and all those that reject the gospel with Tyre and Sidon, and even in the, in the verse before this, in verse 12, with Sodom. Jesus says that these towns, Chorazin, Capernaum, Bethsaida, they, they are worse than Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. I think we ought to feel the, the shocking nature of these words that Jesus is presenting. Because these three cities, these three towns that he contrasts them with are, are the worst kind of cities that could be thought of. These are the most notorious places if, uh, if we think about the history of the Bible. Uh, certainly we all are, know and are aware of Sodom and Genesis, or, where Lot lived, and uh, the rampant sin that marked that city and the end that they came to. Uh, Tyre and Sidon, as you read the prophets in the Old Testament, were uh, coastal cities uh, that were marked by extravagant wealth. Uh, they were marked by arrogance and pride because of their wealth. And so because of this, Tyre and Sidon are often referenced uh, in the prophets' judgment upon the nations. As you read through the prophets, you continually come across these two cities, these two towns. You come across them in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, in Amos, in Joel, in Zechariah. All these prophets speak of these two towns. They are notorious places for those who understand the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, they're the kind of places that children growing up in Israel would have learned about, would have understood to be notoriously wicked places. Uh, maybe in, in the same sense in which we often grow up thinking of and, and hearing about the, the Soviet Union or, or communist China. Th these are the kind of places for them in their understanding of the scriptures. So we ought to see the shocking nature of these words that Jesus gives, these pronouncements of judgment and the contrast he presents. Uh, recently, I was uh, listening to a, a podcast interview with uh, an agent, a sports agent in the world of tennis. 
And he was being interviewed and asked about the, the sort of looming involvement of uh, the, the country of Saudi Arabia uh, in the sport of tennis. You know, they've, they've been getting involved in all these different sports. And so he was being asked about the, the problems that this presented, uh, the question of human rights violations and, and involvement in terrorism. And, and how, should, how should people in the sport of tennis think about their involvement? And his response to this is American uh, tennis agent, a man responded and said, uh, in substance, um, who am I to, to speak about another nation when my own nation has so many problems? Who am I to condemn somebody else when my own country has, has tons of issues on our own? And certainly, as, as I heard this, there was something of, of a shock uh, and even a little bit of an offense uh, as an American person as I hear this. Uh, certainly, we are better than Saudi Arabia, we would think. Uh, these are one of the bad guys we, we think about. Certainly we're, we're better than that, aren't we? I think the same sort of shock is, is the result that they would have felt with Jesus' words. Uh, certainly we're better than Tyre and Sidon. Uh, certainly we're better than Sodom. These are the worst people we could think of. But notice what Jesus says in these verses. He says that in the day of judgment, it will be better for those places than for you. In the day of judgment, it will go better for them. The day of judgment will be a better day for Sodom and Tyre and Sidon than for these towns. Think of the the sins that marked Sodom and Tyre and Sidon. Uh, We we know Sodom and the the, the rampant sin, the grievous sin that that marked them, the the arrogance and, and, and wealth that marked Tyre and Sidon. Now think of the judgments, the, the temporal judgments that these places faced. We certainly know the story of, of Sodom and Gomorrah and its end, in which God sent fire down from heaven and, and wiped them out from the face of the earth. As we read the prophets in the Old Testament, we, we find the judgment that Tyre and Sidon face. The Lord says that they will be devoured by fire. They will be laid waste. People will wail in their cities when the judgment of God comes. And yet, Jesus says that the judgment will be better for these places and for these people. So why will they receive worse judgment? Why will these Jewish, these Israel towns receive worse judgment? Jesus says it very clearly. It's because they've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They've had the gospel preached to them. They've seen the gospel in its fullness. In the fullness of time in which Christ came forth and preached to them himself did mighty works in their midst. They've seen these things, and yet they've rejected, and they have not believed. And even here, we, we, we see the, certainly the main point which Jesus is making in these pronouncements of judgment. And what the great uh, Bible commentator uh, J.C. Ryle says is, the great sinfulness of those who reject the offer of Christ's gospel. It emphasizes the seriousness of this sin. Uh, turning away from, rejecting the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says here is a serious sin. In fact, the most heinous sin that can be committed. So certainly in Jesus' words here, we find uh, application to those who hear the gospel ministry, who hear the gospel preached to them. Those who have the the fullness of the gospel, and Jesus has come and and, and died and, and been risen again, who have the full gospel preached to them, ought to receive it, ought to heed this warning of the seriousness of the sin of rejecting the preaching of the gospel. Certainly, this warning is not only for those who are outside of the church, but also for those within. 
who have regularly come, uh, sat under the ministry of the Word, maybe for years, uh, who know the Bible, who've heard it preached to them, who know who the Lord Jesus Christ is, and yet have never truly responded in faith. Uh, Think about these people that Jesus is speaking to. Uh, These are the covenant people of God. Uh, These are those who would have grown up with the Old Testament Scriptures, who had uh, the Gospel from the Old Testament preached to them. And yet when it came to them, they rejected it. So certainly even those within the church ought to heed this warning of the seriousness of the sin of rejecting the Gospel. Again, J.C. Ryle uh, describes the seriousness of this sin uh, so powerfully. He says, No sin makes less noise, but none so surely damns the soul as unbelief. It is not open sin alone which ruins souls. We need not run into any excess of riot. We need not openly oppose true religion. We have only to remain cold, careless, indifferent, unmoved, and unaffected. And our end will be in hell. So certainly here in Jesus' words, we ought to heed uh, this warning and even this call to receive gospel preaching. Uh, But Jesus' words also have reference and application to those who preach the gospel, uh, to the church in its ministry, to to those of us who are engaged in the work of, of preaching the gospel. For notice who Jesus speaks these words of judgment to. He doesn't pronounce these in the towns that he's speaking of, but he says it in the hearing of those that he's commissioning, those who he's sending out. They hear the words that Jesus is saying. And in a sense, we might think that this would be deeply discouraging for these men who are going out to preach the gospel. You can think again of the illustration of a, of a commissioning service or an ordination service and a minister giving a charge to a pastor or a missionary. And as he's speaking about the work that he's being called to, and in the midst of it, he begins a, a lament about the rejection that he will face uh, and, and, and the evil of the people that he is going to. In a sense, we might think that these words of Jesus in the midst of these 70 men going out to preach the gospel would be discouraging. Uh, but what might seem discouraging to us, I think, teaches us something very important about the ministry of the church in preaching the gospel. First, it teaches us and reminds us of the sobering truth that there will be rejection of gospel preaching. We ought not to be surprised when some people that we know, when friends and family that we bring to church to hear the gospel preached, when those we see in in our nation around us do not receive the gospel, we ought not to be surprised. We ought not to be surprised when people who come and, and, and leave without receiving the gospel message. In verses 11 and 12, uh, in the passage right before this, Jesus has given instruction for these, these men going out, telling them what they are to do when towns reject their message. Uh, the implication is that when they go out, there will be rejection. Uh, they, they, there will be people who will not receive the gospel ministry, who will even revile them for preaching the gospel. Certainly, we as Christians ought to have a desire for souls to be saved, Uh, We ought to have an expectation even. Uh, We ought to pray for Christ to build His church, to expect that Christ will will save souls, will gather in His people, will give fruit to the preaching of His gospel. And and it's certainly not the case that the sign of success in our ministry that we are to look for is is failure and rejection. Uh, We ought not to expect no fruit from gospel preaching we ought to have a, a desire and an expectation for the Lord to bless the preaching of His Word. 
And yet even with this expectation, and even with this desire, uh, we ought to always remember that there will be rejection to the preaching of the Gospel. Even the best preaching. And we ought to understand this as we engage in, in this great task which Christ has called us to. So it teaches us that there will be rejection, but it also teaches us that judgment is a part of the message which the church is to proclaim. It's part of this gospel message which Christ calls us to. Now, this picture of Jesus here, uh, uh, what we might call the Jesus of judgment, uh, may be different than what many people in our world want to think about Jesus. Uh, we often, uh, many people want to think that, that Jesus is the Jesus of love and of peace. Uh, he loves without qualification. There is no judgment. Uh, and yet here we find Jesus pronouncing judgment upon unbelief. He is the Jesus of judgment in this passage. And what Jesus does is, is a part of this gospel ministry which we are called to. We are called as we preach the gospel to warn of the judgment which is to come. Uh, to warn of judgment that will come upon unbelief of those who do not receive the gospel. And so in these words we find Jesus teaching us about judgment that is to come. Judgment that comes for the rejection of gospel preaching. We also find, secondly, in verse 16, the consolation which Jesus Christ gives to his church engaged in this great task of gospel ministry. Look, look again at verse 16. Where there Jesus says, The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. I think in this verse we, we find some of the most uh, profound truths and one of the most profound uh, statements in all of the New Testament and all of Scripture. Uh, and, and this verse here, this, this simple statement of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, is foundational for our understanding of gospel ministry. Uh, it's foundational for our understanding of preaching and how we are to receive the preaching of the Word. For in this verse, Jesus establishes both the authority and the ministerial character of gospel ministry, of gospel preaching. As we think about the logic of, of what Jesus has said in the statement in verse 16, we, we find him asserting the authority of the preaching of God's word. For he says that the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me ultimately rejects the Father. See, the, the, the logic of what Jesus is saying is that when his followers his gospel ministers go out to preach the gospel, the word that they preach carries the full authority of God himself, of our triune God. It carries the authority of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is an authoritative message that they've been given to proclaim. But it also tells us about the ministerial character of gospel preaching. See, the, the point implied of what Jesus says here in verse 16 is that his followers going out to preach have a message that they are to preach. Uh, they're not to go in and to preach whatever they want. Uh, they're not to uh, come up with a message. They've been given a message. They've been given a gospel word which they are to preach. And they are called here to simply proclaim that message. Again, J.C. Ryle, I think, helpfully describes the, the character of gospel ministers uh, when he says that he, speaking of the minister of the gospel, he is a herald. He is an ambassador. He is a bearer of a flag of truce. He brings glad tidings of terms of peace. This is what gospel ministry is. He preached an authoritative gospel in a ministerial manner, preaching the word which Christ has given. 
But notice this, this final and all-important point and implication from what Jesus says in verse 16. Notice he begins and says, The one who hears you hears me. So how is it that as these men would go out, that they would hear the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, Jesus wouldn't be with them physically. He wouldn't be in these towns proclaiming the gospel with his own mouth. How would they hear the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, they will hear me in the faithful preaching of the gospel. You see, when the word of God, the gospel that Christ has proclaimed, is faithfully preached by those whom he has called and gifted and set apart for this work, Christ himself is speaking. Jesus Christ continually works by his word and spirit through the ministry of his pastors that he has called. And when the word of God is faithfully preached, Jesus Christ himself, he says, is speaking. So how do we uh, today hear the Lord Jesus Christ? The Lord Jesus is not physically present with us. He has ascended into heaven. Uh, How do we hear the Lord Jesus? We we don't hear him through personal revelations or visions. We don't hear him through uh, quiet voices in in our quiet times. No, How, how do we hear the Lord Jesus Christ? We hear Jesus Christ through the regular, faithful preaching of his word. As we sit under the word, week by week, morning by morning, Jesus Christ speaks to us through his word. Perhaps this has been best explained in the Great Reformation Confession, the Second Helvetic Confession, in which it states that when the word of God is faithfully preached, it is the word of God. Certainly, this truth which Jesus gives us has important applications for those who hear the gospel. We as Christians, even now, as we sit under the ministry of the word, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, morning by, uh, morning by morning, evening by evening, we hear the Lord Jesus Christ as the word is faithfully preached to us. And certainly, we ought to then regard preaching as a weighty and significant thing. We cannot lightly cast off the faithful preaching of God's word. For when we do so, we cast off the voice of Christ himself as he speaks to us. But notice also, finally, the application that Jesus gives here to those who preach the gospel to the ministry of the church. See, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of struggle as they go out to preach the gospel, Jesus Christ here says that as they go out, he is going with them. As we preach the gospel, Christ is with us. When we minister, as Jesus says, as lambs in the midst of wolves, Jesus Christ is with us. The rejection we face is not just a rejection of us, but it is ultimately a rejection of God. And so may we as the church, as we go about this this work of gospel ministry, each in our own station, each according to our own capacities and gifts, may we do so with confidence and boldness knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is with us as we engage in this great task that he has called us to as we pray. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, we give thanks that you have given to us your word, that you are with us as we go in this great task you've called us to. Oh Lord, we ask that you would bless the preaching of your gospel here amongst us, that we might see great fruit here in our own congregation. But oh Lord, also prepare us for that rejection which which we will face, knowing that ultimately is a rejection of you. Oh Lord, we give thanks for these truths you've given to us. In your name we pray. Amen.